Welcome to Humanly, the podcast searching for the truth about health and wellness. Here's your host, Daniel Reuters. Welcome along, everyone. Daniel Reuters here from Humanly, and today I'm joined by Dr. Peter Dingle. Welcome along, Peter. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, but I have to be. I have to be well, so great to be here, Daniel. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you here. Um, I usually give a little bit of a spiel about my guests before I start. So I think you refer to yourself as Australia's leading researcher, educator, and uh, communicator, but that's just what I have read about you and heard about you. But maybe you'd like to give a bit of more, uh, a more in-depth sort of overview of your history and what's led you to this point. Okay, well, look, I'll, I'll start from where I am now. And I, I love science. I love science and I love, um, I love disproving all the stuff out there that people are saying. And I love cutting edge. Uh, and um, by, by the means, I, cut, I mean, cutting edge, it's already starting to come out in the journals, but um, people won't know about it for 10, 15, 20, or if there's politics involved, 30 years time. And uh, I started out, I don't know where I got this, but I started out at about 1988. Um, I was wrapping up my, oh, well, I, I, I suppose I was just about to start my research career and I had two undergraduate degrees already in science. And I thought, well, look, I, want to, I want to go further. So I started investigating um, unusual things like, uh, first of all, was toxic chemicals in home, in particular, looking at pesticides. And nobody was talking about pesticides in homes. And we were, you know, when I started reading about it, I'm going, this is crazy stuff. They're using these pesticides that hang around in agriculture for 100 years, and they're putting them in the homes. And so I spent a year researching that. The following year, I started looking at all the other chemicals in homes, um, formaldehyde in particular. Um, and, and again, raising the issue that nobody is really looking at this and doing anything. And the authorities are just going, well, let's ignore it. Um, I suppose it takes me back to, I think in, in 1988, I had a debate with the, with the government over here in, in WA. Um, and it was all about getting rid of lead in petrol because I started reading up about toxins and lead and hold on, we still got leaded petrol. You're joking, aren't you? And the government literally to the day that they started removing it at a federal level, our state government was saying it's okay. And the, the, the research, the, the research on lead in petrol dated back to um, the 1970s and a guy called Needleman. And it was this fantastic research showing that, you know, young kids, infants, young kids, children were, were 10 to 100 times more susceptible. And I'm going, this is just not known. And, and you know, we've got so many problems and uh, people are ignoring it. And unfortunately, at that stage, I learned that the government doesn't have your best interest at heart. And then I did. I did. I, I also believe salt was bad for you. Cholesterol was bad for you. I believe that, um, uh, you know, the, 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 yeah, as I said, the pesticides at home weren't an issue because I didn't even know about them. Um, all of these issues and, and, and many, many, many more. Um, I realized that, hold on, there's no real good science to justify it. And so I started questioning it. And after my PhD in, I think, 1993, all about toxins in, in the home, um, I started teaching, or actually I was teaching at university in about 1991 in a, in a degree called environmental science, all about 
toxins. And I just realized there was so there was so little information out there. And so I just started delving into areas. And uh, I, I found that the studies are already starting to come out. And so I just put it together. I also started my public speaking career because uh, people would say, can you come over and do a talk? And, you know, there were five people in the room and, uh, <laughs> um, you know, and things like that. By the way, it's improved since five. Uh, but I, but uh, I would do these talks all around the place. And then I started looking at the, the, um, the, the chemicals that go into food because, you know, that was a, an interest. Health was a general interest of mine. So I started looking at the food and I'm going, this is, this is also, you know, ridiculous that, that, um, and, and this is just when the first eBooks, uh, they're called eBooks, the European e-additive scheme came out and, and they had all the numbers and all the information. And if you look behind the scenes, you'd see that there are quite a few that particularly things like your cold tar dyes, the bright colors, the, the reds, the yellows um, in particular were all derived from coal tar. I used to joke, here's a barrel of petrol. You give, you know, you take that out to the petrol, the oil, here the petrol goes out there. You give the diesel to there and the leftover goes to make the additives for the kids. And, um, and you know, it, it's a joke, but it gets a message across. And kids yeah. were disproportionately exposed to these food additives. Mm. And so I looked in it. Then I started looking at other, other things um, around the place to kind of criticize and find out about. And I moved on to uh, toxic chemicals in our makeup and personal care. And uh, of course, I, I, don't, I don't use much makeup and personal care products. I'm not into shampoo personally, um, but I would, I would constantly be coming against, uh, you know, all these lists of things out there, which now companies advertise their SLS free, DEA free, TEA free. We don't have nitrosamines in our, you know, mm. they're constantly advertised. And this is the stuff I was talking about in, you know, the early nineties. And um, so, you know, I, I was out there doing, doing the talks. And um, from there, I also realized that there's another, uh, another part to toxic substances. And that's the other side of it, which is nutrition. And we went in, we were going into homes and we were measuring things like, um, apart from the toxic chemicals, we were measuring mold and dust mite allergens. And we were finding homes with dust mite allergens that were skyrocketing and nobody in the family had any signs or symptoms or reactions to them. And we, and we found people who had really low levels, almost undetectable, and they had very high levels of these allergies and asthma-like asthma reactions and so on. And so we said, what is it? And that took me into the area of um, gut health. Uh, and so I wrote, a, I wrote a little book. Uh, well, I wrote a little paper called um, A Peanut Hypothesizing, highlighting um, back in 2003 that um, our, it's more our gut's sensitivity, our gut being the microbiota that everyone knows about now, our large intestine, 100 trillion microorganisms, is that sensitivity to the environmental exposure that makes us sensitive, not the actual environmental exposure. So if you have uh, what's called dysbiosis of the gut, 
and you were exposed to a small amount of peanut allergen, then you were more likely to develop a peanut allergy and have an anaphylactic shock as a result. And, and, and therefore, you know, life ongoing circumstances around that. And we looked at we looked at a little bit of data and found China that was consuming the most peanuts in the world in those days um, had literally one of the lowest rates of peanut allergies in the world. And yet countries like uh, America, Australia, Western developed countries who consume very few peanuts per head of population and particularly in young kids, um, maybe that, you know, the adults may have been drinking them at the bar or something, you know, something like that, but um, the kids weren't getting it and they had huge rates of these very dangerous um, allergies as a result of it. Mm. And so the question comes back was, what is it that's sensitizing? And, and so we, we, we then, you know, I then looked at both sides of the equation and what is it that, that um, made it that, you know, made them that sensitive? What, what is it that created that situation? Why are some people exposed to lots of toxins and uh, it, it has a little impact on them? Why are other ones, you know, exposed to a little bit in the rest of their life, they're in bed? And we had conditions of, you know, um, conditions like chronic fatigue and myo, myoencephalitis and stuff like that, um, uh, which, which were related to chemical exposure in those days. And we've learned a lot, by the way, in, in the last 30 years since then. And so as a result, I started going, I look, and then I, then I just, the, the world opened up and I, I went in looking at, at all the stuff there was around the, about, um, you know, overcoming illness. And I realized the underlying causes were literally things like oxidation, which is what the toxic chemicals do, or they're one of the sources of it, and inflammation, which is they're one of the sources, as is the gut, as is some other things I'll discuss later. And I realized that these were the underlying conditions of virtually every disease. And Time magazine, when it was a magazine in those days, um, verified that I think it was about 1991 or two produced a, an article all about inflammation and the end of all illness we know what causes it and so then I'm going hold on how come how come we know that um, heart attacks and stroke and atherosclerosis the buildup of plaque on the arteries is caused by oxidation inflammation and and what's called acidosis so how come we're still giving people these drugs statin drugs to lower cholesterol. But when you look at cholesterol, it's one of the most important chemicals in the body. Yes. But one of the things it does do, by the way, it's an alarm. Mm -hmm. So if it's out of balance, it's telling you, you've got inflammation, you've got oxidation. It's not that you're eating chicken eggs or that you're eating a steak. It says your body, which is producing it and saying, well, here it is. I'm going to help you by producing the LDL and HDL cholesterol. And so I looked into that and then it just opened up a kettle of, a kettle of fish for me. And, and then I'd be going back to do a few more studies on toxins. We did, we did the study. My small group did the study where we looked at, um, I think it was 30, geez, I've forgotten the number, 30 clubs and pubs around Perth. And we were able to show um, this is a state government sponsored study. So I was friends with them in those days. Um, and it, we were able to show that the levels of um, tobacco residual, things like nicotine and particulates and so, some of the other unknown or lesser known products 
would last in the air for you know a day and it didn't matter what type of cleaning you did right um even if you opened all the windows even under the best ventilation um and so it became an occupational health and safety hazard and therefore they they literally had to ban tobacco smoking in clubs and pubs Mm. in WA because of the occupational health and safety legislation, which meant that people who were employed were being exposed to tobacco smoke, which is kind of, you know, the same as asbestos or anything like that. It's a well-known cancer-causing agent, although the tobacco companies still deny that. Um, the, you know, the, the, so the message became very clear. And so we looked at that. And 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 again, I was, I was favourites with, with everyone because that then led to um, it being banned in WA first and then around the country. And interestingly enough, the last state, I'm pretty sure the last state was New South Wales about 10 years later. Wow. Now you're wondering why New South Wales is 10 years later. Yeah. Because someone in a very high position later on when they left, took a directorship with Philip Morris, which is the major smoking company in the world. So a very high ranking politician decided there was a career future in there mm. and that taught me something about politics <laughs> and it taught me something about this is not about health anymore it's about where does the money flow where does a um and even the situation here in perth was was forced upon the government because um uh, a sneaky but very good man um introduced the legislation just prior prior to christmas about the uh, workplace exposure and so it just led to, you know, no, everyone went through, snuck through. He was demoted. Um, uh, but the following year, we were able to ban tobacco smoke. So it was great. And so, look, from, from then, I've just, I've just investigated everything. I love just research. There are studies on, you know, it, it, there's so much. I, I'm just finishing up a book all about blood pressure. And you're going, well, what's that got to do? With? Well, there are links between toxins and blood pressure. The links between gut and blood pressure. And the underlying cause of all this is inflammation and oxidation. And so if we can address these underlying factors, and I'm a big fan of nutrition, all I do now is spend hours and a day just researching and writing, literally, um, uh, you know, my passion, I'm, I'm, I'm retired, I'm an old fellow now, so I'm retired, but not retired from my passion uh, and my purpose in life, just retired from um, universities and things like that. And as a result, we, you know, we, 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 people, people would say there's, oh, but there's, there's no research on, on um, uh, blood pressure and, and nutrition. You know, there's, there's, there's 20,000 studies I can find, pull up in five minutes. Uh, and if I had time, I could make it 30 or 40,000 if I started looking into specific ones. And when people say that to me, I go, you, you, what you mean is the person who told you that hasn't looked in the research yet. And I remember the days when I did my PhD. I used to have to ride my bicycle round to go to the libraries. Now you hop online, you hop onto PubMed, you hop onto a couple of research engines, you know, science research engines, and you have millions of studies at your disposal instantly. And I, I would love to just teach people how to go and get that research because there is so much good stuff available. So when someone says it's not available, no, they haven't looked. And so I just like continuing to disprove myths. I've, I've written a lot on gut health. Um, you know, my next book will probably be a, a one I've already finished all the science behind, but I'll still put another 300 extra studies in. And that'll all be about reflux and how simple it is to fix reflux. You know, you don't go on the 
you know, the, the meds, all medications have a place. Mm. They're after you get rid of the underlying conditions and causes. And the vast majority of our population are nutrient depleted and exposed to too many toxins and too much stress and da, da, da. Welcome to the 21st century. And so I try to just share with people to say, here are some really simple strategies that you can do. And we, you know, we do a lot of, we did a lot of public speaking pre-COVID. And uh, I think it was 2019, we did 90 talks that year. Wow. Around Australia, probably about four in Brisbane. Where were you? Yeah, I didn't see you at my talks. So we did, we did about, we did about um, 90. And at the end of that year, we said, uh, probably that's far too many. We've got to cut it down. We started off with a few at the beginning and then COVID hit. And sorry, I must have bought on COVID because of my positive attitude. <laughs> I need a break. I need so, to remember 2019, to be honest with you. It seems like two decades ago, you know? Well, that's it. Hey, now you just go pre-COVID. So it's all right. Well, exactly. What happened then? Pre-COVID, doesn't matter. Yep. And so for two years, for two years literally, I've been stuck at my desk, um, reading, writing, researching, and, and uh, helping get some science out there on, on all, these, all these health topics. So. Yeah, fantastic. I love it. I love it. And I'm, I'm, I'm passionate about health and I'm passionate. I hate seeing people suffer. Mm. I hate seeing people when they're told, you know, take this, take this. I, I, a young man recently diagnosed with a, you know, a, a very, a very serious illness where he'll go blind in, over the next couple of years. Um, and he used to joke with me, his, his breakfast was um, chalk milk. He's um his uh, lunch was, um, uh, what was it, a coffee, one of those, you know, an iced coffee. Mm. Uh, and then all, all of it was, all of it was kind of junk food. And now, and unfortunately, you know, and people don't get it. You don't get sick because of what you did yesterday or the day before, or even the year before. You get sick because of a buildup of negative behaviors over years and decades, you know, the first, the first Alzheimer's um, classic example where everyone, you know, in the 60s start worrying about it, but, and a good time to start worrying about it, but you'd be better off if you started worrying in the 30s. Yes. Because it's, it's it, what you're eating in the 30s is setting the scene for the 40s, 50s and 60s and, and starting to do the damage. And they're just starting to show this now. Same with diabetes. You don't get diabetes all of a sudden. You get diabetes at 24 or 34. Mm. Um, oh, by the way, they used to call it aged. Um, uh, I think it was aged. What was it? Uh, it was, uh, the, the, they, they would refer to diabetes as an aged disease. Aged That's onset. Right. That's right. Aged onset diabetes, they would call it. Yep. Uh, now it's just diabetes. Now type just two. Diabetes, yeah. Why? Because everyone's getting it because we now have the same lifestyle as the kings and queens. Um, who used to get it historically, and uh, we eat the same junky, over-processed foods, and we're getting sicker and sicker and sicker. And to top that off, and to so you can get a question in there, um, it literally, literally, this generation coming through now in their 30s and 40s will not, will not get to 70 years of age. Yeah, there'll be the people who do. Uh, already in America, the life expectancy um, has started to turn around and they see the actuarial figures showing that, you know, the life, life expectancy has already went from 82 to 81. And that's not because the older people are dying. It's because the younger people coming through are dying earlier. And we're going to see a lot. We're going to see a lot of that unless we do something about it. 
And what scares me is the government doesn't. The government is caught their, their hands in the pocket of business, um, oh, the, the stuff that's funded, the jobs that created, the nepotism. You know, I'll, I'll give you a job if you give me a job later on and I'll help you out here. And um, it's, it's just people think, look, we, we may not be the most corrupt country in the world, but we believe it or not. When we've got a, a food rating system, for example, that can rate, rate coconut, um, what was it I saw in the supermarket? Shaved coconut uh, at two, a 2.5 out of five. Mm. And I can rate Milo at four and a half. Yes, it you know, doesn't coconut, coconut is a great food. It's mm. a complete food. You know, you could eat coconut all day. I don't recommend it, but you could eat it all day and, and you know, eat it every day for the rest of your life and you'd be healthy, healthier as a result of it. Whereas Milo, you had it every day for the rest of your life and you'd be sicker as a result of it. So, so you know, the system doesn't work. How has medicine got this so wrong then? Because the, the evidence is obviously there. But evidence, uh, medicine doesn't seem to really want to look at um, identifying and addressing the cause of disease. They don't want to look at diet. They don't want to look at environmental toxins or supporting the body's natural detoxification processes. So even though all these things are based in science and medicine claims to practice as evidence-based medicine, how are they getting it so wrong? Okay. First of all, there's medicine and then there's science. Okay. Medicine... <laughs> Medicine, medicine can use science, but it uses only the science that's paid for by the big pharmaceutical companies to show that. Right. And one of the things about the big pharmaceutical companies, they do big studies. Now, big studies, let's say, of 100,000 people in the case of cholesterol. Um, and they'll do these big studies. And then they will say that you had a significant reduction in your risk of a heart attack or stroke. And what significant means is that out of 100,000 people, you saved five lives. But compared to the non, it was still five lives. And some people are going to say, yeah, but that's good, but that's, that's, hold on. You know, a lot of people have to take these drugs to have one benefit. In fact, the, the figures are to stop one heart attack or stroke from using cholesterol medications, you need two to three to four, depending on the age and gender, 500 people to take one. However, the side effects, the serious side effects kick in at one in 10. Right. Okay. Right. So it's kind of on the blacklist of anyone who's done the science. Mm. And what happens is the medicine say, well, you know, we're educated, we're taught this. And then there's a study that comes out and says cholesterol, um, you know, lowers LDL, uh, cholesterol lowering drugs like statins, lower LDL, cholesterol, and therefore it's linked with lowering the risk of Alzheimer's. Rubbish. It does not. Just because a study has been sponsored by a drug, always look at where the studies are coming from, always. And every single one of the big drug companies have been fined hundreds of millions, even billions of dollars. Pfizer was fined back in 2009. I think it was $3.2 billion for misleading um, corruption and all those other things that went along with it. And the share market went down and went up the next day. So, you know, it's just a glitch on their, their lives. So it doesn't make any difference. And unfortunately, that is the science that are given to the medical doctors. And look, you know, they're taught this in school. They're taught this at university. They're taught this in um, all the way through their career. And uh, there are many cases in Australia where medical doctors have spoken out. There was a, um, I've forgotten his name, uh, probably three years ago, a guy in Tasmania. 
and he's a oh, cardiologist. Gary Fetke. Yeah, that's. Yeah. I think that's it. And he was. Uh, he was a. Um, was I think he was a cardiologist or a, uh, you know, a, a specialising. And he just got sick of seeing people come through. And so he started, put up a website, got out some information and told people to go on a kind of a, you know, a Mediterranean slash paleo diet. And it wasn't consistent with the Heart Foundation Mm. diet, which, by the way, derives millions of dollars a year from the pharmaceutical companies in donations. So follow the money, always follow the money. And uh, so the Heart Foundation, you know, promotes statin drugs and they promote this drug and they uh, see your doctor, highly recommend seeing your doctor and so on. And you'll see that there's a big, there's a, there's a, there's a, um, a, a line that goes back to the, the, you know, profit loss coming from drug companies. And that, scare, that scares me. People don't understand that. And uh, um, so coming, coming back to it, this, this guy in, in Tassie, he, he was dragged before all the various medical bodies um until finally he was vindicated in court and it said that his information is correct and he has a right to do it despite the medical biases and you know the the people who are running these medical establishments have have so many ties with the pharmaceutical industry and and that's unfortunate um your gp will recognize it in their degree unless they were very lucky did five hours of nutrition now many of them have done what's called an ACNEM course, Australian College of Nutritional and Environmental Medicine, which is, you know, months. And they've gone in and, and they've, they've learned a lot about inflammation, oxidation. They've learned about toxins. Uh, a long, long time ago, I ran some courses specifically for them. Uh, so, you know, these people, these people are um, running the scene, are in charge. These people running the scene have, have very strong ties with the, the, these industries and so on. And it's very hard for doctors to get out there. And if they do put their head up too high, it gets it gets shot off. So um, there's no way of, of reprocessing, I mean, the system, the doctors to be able to do that. And so a lot of people are turning away from the medical system. A lot of people are turning away from the medical system because, look, at the end of the day, every single disease, it doesn't matter if it's COVID, influenza, it doesn't matter if it's heart attack or stroke is linked to oxidation and inflammation and nutrition can play a huge role. doesn't matter if it's Alzheimer's or diabetes, oxidation, inflammation and acidosis can play a huge role in reducing that um, level of disease and definitely reducing that level over a period of time for all those chronic illnesses. So, you know, we're just trying to get that message out to people. Question, question, question. Um, and if you get a GP, look, we've got you, you, some people tell me they've got great GPs. Great. I've got a great one too. I've got a great GP. Um, and uh, apart from my, my, my latest wrist, wrist um, twisting that I did, um, I haven't seen him for a long time. I normally see him. He's doing the run, run on the track. And, you know, he, he recently lost 15 kilos as a result of following the, a kind of a paleo keto mix of diet. Yeah, right. um, and so, you know, he talks about that now quietly, of course. Mm. So, you know, the information's there. We just need to, we just need to be able, and the, the system just doesn't allow GPs to do what they really should be doing. 100%. And, and you comment on, or you mention inflammation, oxidative stress as the cause of disease. Yeah. But, and a lot of people say that and they go, right, well, we need to give antioxidants and we need to give anti-inflammatories, but there are things that 
contribute and cause inflammation, yep. oxidative stress, right? Yes. Yep. So what are those things? And well, okay, let's 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 list them down. The first one, probably the biggest one, is um, the gut. The gut, and um, uh, a guy, a Russian zoologist, back in 1907. So a long time ago, or should I say, a Ukrainian? No, no, probably Russian. A Ru sorry, a, a Russian scientist back in 1907, Eli um, Metchenkov said that. Um, there appears to be a chemical being released from the gut, which is going to the body and leading to all these chronic illnesses, which were relatively rare by comparison today. Um, and it, but he recognized that and said, it's the gut that's causing the inflammation. And these people as a result are getting sick. So we knew about that then. So gut dysbiosis, a gut, um, there, there is no perfect gut microbiota. You know, it's a combination of 100 trillion microorganisms, a couple of thousand different types of bugs. Um, I'll say bugs, but mainly bacteria, fungi, viruses. Yep, viruses. Um, you know, a whole raft of archaea, a whole raft of other, other bits and pieces are in there. Um, and, 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 you know, it's about not about not having, there's no such thing as a bad one or a good one. It's about the opportunistic ones, the ones that take over if they're given too much freedom, so to speak, in the gut. And there's another one group called the commensal. Okay. And these ones are the ones that are good and you want to encourage them because they keep the other ones out of, um, you know, in some form of check. By the way, some, some of the opportunistic ones in low numbers can be quite beneficial for us. But it's just when they start to show bigger numbers and get out of control. And so the question then comes back, what causes the level of imbalance in the gut, the level of dysbiosis? And, you know, that's, um, and that, that takes me then on to, let's say, the second cause of, um, of free radicals and inflammation. And that is, by the way, uh, oxidation and inflammation are intimately linked. Where you've got one, you've got the other. And where you've got the other, you've got the other one. So if you've got inflammation, you've got some oxidation, your cells release free radicals, for example, um, it, through your immune system, for example, which destroys the bacteria or tries to destroy the toxin. And as a result, you end up with inflammation and the inflammation then leads to a little cascade of more oxidation um, this is this is what happens, by the way, in COVID. Why COVID is so deadly to the really sick old people because of this cascade of oxidation, inflammation. Coming back though, we know we know that this oxidation, inflammation occurs, and uh, toxins can be a part of that. They can actually, when you talk about toxins, the traditional toxins, um, uh, for example, heavy metals. Um, they, they, they work two ways. First of all, they'll, they'll block a nutritional pathway so you can't get the zinc and the selenium and the magnesium into your body. They literally block it. So where, where these micronutrients should be doing work, they're being blocked. Secondly, they set off these free radical reactions and inflammation. Thirdly, by the way, they poison the gut. And that, of course, leads to inflammation and oxidation and the, the problems there. So toxins do it. When you're exposed to um, toxic gases, uh, formaldehyde at low concentration, my PhD was specifically on formaldehyde. 
and uh, then volatile organic compounds. Mm -hmm. And they're the, they're the things you smell in all of the cleaning agency. You know, everything that's got a smell um, probably shouldn't have a smell. That's the best way to, you know, the best way I liken it to the best thing is not to have a smell. And though those things set off um, free radical damage and then inflammation. So you can see how it kind of happens in, again, through, through a different mechanisms, different ways. Then the third source of inflammation nowadays is, and it's a major one, is obesity. Your obese cells literally produce something like 17 different hormones, you know, chemicals that go around the body and communicate with the body. And the white fat cells, the worst type of fat cells, are producing um, this low-level chronic inflammation. The more fat cells you have, the more obese you are, the more of this low-level chronic inflammation, which then leads to your um, diabetes, um, cardiovascular diseases, and arthritis, uh, all that, that wear and tear, um, you know, injury, damage that we see, and all those chronic diseases that we see. Uh, and, and look, there, there is no doubt about the role of obesity and inflammation and, and so on. And then the fourth one um, is probably our mind, stress. And our stress can manifest many things. And um, when you start to get stressed and you're producing cortisol, well, then it ends up releasing some free radicals and causing inflammation. And a little bit of stress was necessary for survival. In fact, we grow from that stress on the prefrontal cortex, an area just here, the brain, you know, that a little bit of stress, controlled stress where you're in control and you know what you're doing is fantastic for growth and, um, you know, your ability to progress forward and become a better person, better thinking, doing all these things. But the chronic stress that never goes away, whether it's your financial problems, whether it's um, your job prospects, whether it's your relationship whether it's the fact that you're just watching a crappy TV, TV program and you don't think you're being stressed by it, but you are because mm. you're going to bed and you can't go to sleep and your eyes are out wide like this. And, you know, and these are all these stresses. Whereas um, the hunter-gatherer 100,000, 200,000 years ago, a bit like my cat, a bit like my cat. Okay, I'll, I'll use my cat as an example. He, I, I actually, he's passed away, but he would, um, he would, um, long time ago, he would, um, he would go outside and, um, you know, we'd just let him out to have a, a, a quick pee and so on. And the neighbor's cat was there and they're being, and, you know, he so we'd open the door and he'd run straight in. And he'd walk down the hallway, he'd take a couple of deep breaths and guess where he went? Into your bed. No, no, straight to the food. All oh, right. Okay. Second, then he went straight to the couch and he laid down and went to sleep. Now imagine the amount of stress that little cat fight had. And yet the cat, like the old hunter-gatherers, like the way we should have done it, should be doing it, we rethink and regurgitate and all that. And every time we do that, every time we're going over that over and over and over, it's creating these toxic chemicals throughout our bodies. The ones, you know, the own ones we're doing ourselves. So the message is we've got lots of these various sources of, um, you know, free radicals, oxidation and inflammation. And my, my take on it right from the beginning is what we want to do is 
reduce all of them. So we want to reduce the gut dysbiosis. And that comes from lowering your toxic exposure, increasing your nutrition, increasing something as simple as fiber. No, not psyllium husks, okay? Fiber, a mix of fibers from your nuts and seeds and all that. And then, you know, drinking lots of water, drinking lots of water. You know, there's, there's um, I'm amazed at this. Um, I, I've got all the, all my materials. I've, I've got a video I've done on, on reflux and a video I've done on um, uh, high blood pressure. And in both of those situations, just by drinking 500 milliliters of water, half a liter of water a day, lowered the incidence and severity of reflux, you ready? And hypertension, high blood pressure by about 10%. That's crazy. It's a huge reduction. Wow. If there was, if there was a drug that did that, it would be touted <laughs> as a miracle drug. Well, exactly. guys, I'm selling the water now. Okay, get all your water through me. <laughs> um, so, so, you know, it, it was really a, such a simple strategy. And yet everyone knows they've got to drink water. And we had, you had a conversation about that. Um, you know, I will go through uh, probably in a day, on just a normal day, two and a half litres of a mix between water and green tea and tea and a few other things along the way, you know, healthy mm. liquids a day. And on a hot day, obviously, add in another litre or two litres of, of water while we're out walking or, or whatever we do, which, by the way, we do every single day. Mm. So, you know, it's, there are things, lots of things, and, and, but the, 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 the information is there. So mm. It is there. We just have to look for it and interpret it correctly. Um, so my sort of understanding about inflammation or my sort of take on it is you get exposed to these toxins, heavy metals, persistent organic pollutants or whatever, and it comes along and it damages the cell. Mm -hmm. And for the cell to heal itself, it's got to obviously initiate an inflammatory cascade, right? So is it the inflammation that's the cause or is it the fact that the cells are being constantly bombarded with a lack of nutrients and toxins, putting this, the cells and tissue into a, um, putting them into like damage control and they're secreting all these inflammatory mediators. And that's what's keeping this sort of disease process going, but it's more so the fact that they're just constantly getting bombarded by these toxins and they're not getting the nutrients they need to heal themselves. Well, Is that look, the, the right the, sort of thinking? You, you, you kind of, you kind of, are, um, the, the toxins, the toxins, um, you know, doing any damage to cells sets off, uh, will set off an inflammatory reaction. You're, your inf inflammation is a part of your immune system process of healing. Mm. So it's trying to clean up the mess yeah. that's been left behind. And it tries to clean up, uh, you know, um, uh, it tries to clean up um, a dust mite allergen, something called DERP1, dermatophoiegeserinicinus1. And it tries to clean that up, particularly if you've been sensitized to it. And so it does that by, uh, first of all, identifying it. And then the cells come out and the cells to destroy it um, fire free radicals at it. You know, they start to chew it up, engulf it, chew it up, um, uh, try to break it down. And in the process of that, it, it leads to an increase in inflammation, which is basically a protective system. If you cut your finger and it gets a bit inflamed, it's basically saying, don't touch it. <laughs> okay, don't touch it. It's a healing process. Now, obviously, if it goes on for a long, long time and gets worse, then you do something about it. But the, the normal cut that everyone's aware of would just be, and that happens throughout the body. Inside, we, inside our body, we don't feel it. 
as such. Yeah. We don't notice it. We don't know what's going on here outside a cut on the forehead, fingers or anywhere else. You know, you, you notice the same exact same process is going on. But if that is going on all the time, then you've got this constant underlying chronic inflammation. If you're chronically stressed, you've got this constant underlying inflammation. If you're um, overweight, obese, you've got this constant, you know, underlying inflammation and oxidation. If you're, um, it, it doesn't matter, if you've got gut dysbiosis, you've got this constant inflammation and oxidation that's going on in your gut, leaking through and getting into your blood and joints. Hence, you've got arthritis and, you know, rheumatoid arthritis in the joints. And then you've got, oh, hold on, some osteoarthritis. Then hence, you've got all these other conditions out there. Um, and it just comes back to these. Now, with the, with toxins, there, there's um, a, a slight difference. And this is how I got on, in, in a sense, almost into the area of nutrition. Various ways, but this was one of them. We, we realized that people had been exposed to heavy metals because they would use, people would be willing. I, look, I, I remember as a kid, or should I say, I can remember as a kid, um, you know, playing with mercury. Yeah, right. You okay. know, playing with mercury and pushing it. And wow, look at that. It rolls along. It goes everywhere. Now, where did that end up going when I finished with it? I don't know. Probably mm. in me. That could be, it could explain some of the injury done, you know, the mental injury at the moment in me. Um, but, you know, there was a lot around leaded petrol. Yeah. And we found out, by the way, we don't have that mercury exposure. Most mercury exposure via, now is via food. And hence, again, that link with nutrition and food and particularly marine species and, and so on. But those toxins, the heavy metals, as I alluded to earlier, will block the little what would I say, enzymes that normally zinc goes into. Mm. And so one, one molecule of lead will, or mercury will block um, about the equivalent of uh, two or 400 times the amount of zinc or magnesium. Wow. And so or if you've got a lot of the lead and a lot of the mercury in you or any of these other toxins that do the same, they're, they're, that's a case of heavy metals. Um, then, uh, then you need a hell of a lot of zinc and magnesium mm. to be able to actually do normal everyday functions. Mm. And people will say, you know, you've got the you've got the recommended daily dose of 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 that. You got the rec you should know you should be normal and so on. You got the recommended in your blood, but what it's not showing is it's not being effective. It's basically just going in there, and the the only way you, that can start to become effective is by unblocking those enzymes, uh, unblocking where the zinc should go, getting rid of the mercury, getting rid of lead, getting rid of the cadmium, getting rid of you know, those heavy metals, for example, and allowing the minerals, the micronutrients, to do a lot of the work that they do. And where are those things coming from? Like, What do people need to avoid in their diet and environment and lifestyle to minimize their exposure to these things because it's everywhere isn't it yeah look it, it is now now fortunately i will say you know i'm, I'm a big critic of governments so i think they're they, they spend far too much time worrying about the pharmaceutical and chemical industry uh, than they do the public but you know our, our exposure to most of those have been minimized dramatically but interestingly enough they will also underplay 
our current exposure, even though it may be a problem. And right. in the late 80s, as I said earlier, we had lead and petrol. Hmm. And uh, countries had already started phasing it out 10, 15 years earlier. Uh, but no, Australia had a very big, you know, lead smelter industry, um, which we had to support and sponsor and make sure lead kept going into the atmosphere and, and onto the soil and where kids played. And the kids would come along and they'd play in the ground, pick it up and go straight into their mouth, something called PICA, P-I-C-A. Um, so they had that, you know, that constant exposure to something like lead. Then there was the the, the mercury. Now, um, a lot of people talk about global warming. And uh, by the way, I gave my first lecture on global warming back in 1990. Um, I want to put it in perspective. It's, <laughs> there's a lot of information being around. And again, uh, we were trying to highlight with my students. I have a couple of thousand a year. You know, we'd be, we'd be highlighting to them that this is a major issue. It's going to get worse and da, da, da. And all I can say is, um, well, where you are, you definitely see the effects of the, you know, the one in 500 year floods every 10 years or something now. And we, we, look, the predictions back then were pretty well the same. We're going to see a lot more of that. Hmm. Um, we're going to see the extremes. And anyway, coming, coming, coming back to that, um, while people talk on global warming, they will talk about carbon dioxide and methane as the, um, uh, the molecules that exacerbate it. What they don't realize is that coal burning is um, the single biggest source of heavy metals, in particular, mercury into the atmosphere and the environment and it travels up and all the way around the country there are no limits to where the air can go and so um all, all of those places that have uh coal fire power stations have been literally have been a great source of toxins of course it goes into the water because it goes into the rivers the creeks the streams it washes out goes into the the waterways um, and then it, it accumulates through the food chain. And, you know, everyone knows it's in the algae. So the little fish, the little prawns, okay? The little prawns eat the um, algae. The little fish eat the prawns. The middle-sized fish eat that. The big fish eat that. And then we catch the big fish and eat them. Oh, oh. In 1992, I... Um, did a, I did a public talk and someone said, would you eat the fish in the Swan River? And I said, look, there's a, that's our, our main river, okay? Not Swan Lake, but Swan River. Yep. And, and I said, um, there are probably some I would that are going in and out with the tides, but I wouldn't mm -hmm. eat any of the ones that are the bottom dwellers, the ones that tend to hang around and, you know, they're in that same area over time. And somehow it got into the front page of the West Australian. So all of a sudden I had these people from fisheries department and environment ringing my professor. Uh oh, was I in trouble? Really? And it was the first time I've ever experienced academic pressure to retract right. it. Right. A month later, they discovered high levels of, by the way, did I retract it? No but they discovered high levels of heavy metals in the Swan River areas and told people that they should be conscious of what fish they eat. Oh, oh really? Wow. So anyway, that, that brings in the heavy metals, government policy, and all, the, all those other bits and pieces, the pressures that, that go on there. And yeah. so we get most of our mercury exposure via our, um, via our fish and 
that's why people say don't eat big fish. Mm. And, you know, the, and, and that's probably things like tuna because they're at the top of the food chain and even higher up than that is, is shark. Yes. And, and so, you know, and that's why in, in, the, in reality, um, in Japan, the levels of mercury in whale meat exceed the, uh, I think, the eating standards by a hundred or a thousand for yes. mercury. That's now, true. any other food would be taken off the table simply because of the amount of mercury in it. But it's allowed because it's a cultural, you know, a cultural, um, whatever thing. We don't we don't accept pressure from anyone else. But so we're going to keep doing it. But whale meat has huge concentrations because again, it's not at the top of the food chain, but it because it's a mammal in cold water, it consumes huge volumes of the of the microalgae, the krill, mm. and huge volumes, and it stores it all in the fat and the meat. So anyway, so mercury, our biggest source is tuna and so on. Um, all, always a good idea to check out, find out some more information on that. Uh, I'm a big fan of fish eating, a big fan. And I prefer to get local fish caught, fresh fish caught. Um, I don't, I tend to avoid farm fish, not always possible when I'm dining out, but, you know, farm fish because of the things that they put in the farm fish food. And yeah. in not, this case, we're not talking about the toxins like, heavy metals, but we're talking about other food toxins like uh, omega-6 fatty acids mm. and all the artificial, so stuff that fish shouldn't be eating. Anyway, coming back to that, um, lead, our biggest source for that is renovating old homes. In the so paint. If, yeah, so in the paint, in the paint. And the great thing is you can go to a local hardware store and you can get a lead test kit for $8 or something. Oh, yeah. And you can go around and rub it on any of the surfaces. But I'm talking an old home. I'm talking pre-1970s, even pre-1950s. But mm. um, And it was typically on the doors, the one, the areas that needed the heavy-duty paints. Right. And so the problem is going in, a bit like asbestos, going in and doing the renovations. You're getting in there with a, um, your, your uh, sander and creating all these microscopic particles or getting in there with your um, heat gun and releasing all these toxic gases or, or particles and gases and so on that contain the lead. And so there was a big issue uh, probably 20 years ago now about that. Still, still goes on and not so many people know about it, but the awareness really did change a lot of people. And that's why, again, you've got the lead tests at, at Bunnings. But it's worthwhile, if you've got a pre-1970s house, just check some of the, the doors and windows and the bathroom areas they need that paint and you can just check if it's got any if it's got any heavy metals when the renovation's done just take some extra precautions and that means a good particulate mask not not one of those flimsy paper ones um and using some air filtration at the same time some really simple strategies to to do that cadmium our biggest source tends to be through our food as well and a lot of the things coming in from china like foods uh, yep foods and that are coming through with cadmium, heavy metal contaminants, but particularly cadmium, um, it's recycled into the environment. And because it's recycled into the environment, um, uh, it, you know, it, it's used in landfill, not landfill, um, sewerage and stuff like that. And sewerage is used in the agriculture and it accumulates there. And uh, a classic example that I came across and was working on about 13, 14 years ago was the level of cadmium <laughs> in um, peanuts oh, really? and yeah yeah and Australian peanuts 
were kind of, I, I, from recollection, the figures might be out a bit, but you know, 20% of the recommended daily allowance. So it wasn't an issue or um, the, you know, the level that was set. Um, but the Chinese peanuts were about five times higher. Huh. So two things they did was one, they mixed them together, which is the inappropriate use of that type of information. You know, oh, let's mix them together. We'll get under the standard. Uh, and at that time, the Australian standard was altered to allow the Chinese peanuts to come in. Oh, Must be safe. Based, then. based on science. Sorry. Sorry. All of the science shows that the more we're exposed to the more of these toxic chemicals and history shows us that when we're, you know, these standards are going down and down and down around the world to lower that exposure because we're, we're now identifying how these environmental toxins can have such a dramatic impact on um, our lives without us knowing it. And they've got new ways of testing it and verifying it. And they're all showing, yes, at this extremely low level. So here it was that the government said, no, no, we'll allow, we'll, allow, we'll, we'll set the standard a bit higher and the Chinese peanuts can come in. Incredible. So my message to you is don't eat Chinese peanuts. Okay, um, definitely won't do that. Okay, and uh, any other food that might accumulate, you know, um, again, we test 10 times, maybe 100 times more, and I wrote a little paper on this a long, long time ago. We test 10 to 100 times more of the food that we send out of the country because we're worried about a country saying, oh, it's got too much of, um, you know, um, lead or mercury or this pesticide in it. Mm. Um, we test 10 to 100 times more than the food coming into the country. And the food being tested coming into the country is diluted many, many times. So to test if it's in peanuts, you get, you know, a peanut from here, peanut from there, peanut from there, peanut, and you put all the peanuts together and you mix it all up, blend it up, and then you have a look at the concentration. Um, so there's lots of flaws with the situation. And yeah, that's so, so that's where cadmium, that's where the major source of, of cadmium is, you know, another one of those heavy metals. And it's a really simple strategy, you know, eat Australian food, eat Australian food. Yeah. Um, we may not have the best regulations in the world. There are countries with better regulations, but we enforce them better. And we generally have much cleaner food than anywhere else in the world. And this is why, you know, we should be protecting that and making the Australia the clean food bowl of the world. And do you think it's important that we eat organic or does that not matter? Because I usually eat organic where I can or spray free because I don't want my food being sprayed with pesticides and things. Do you, do you eat organic? Do you think it's important? I do a mix. Okay. I do a mix. Yep. And um, the, look, the answer is really simple. When it's affordable for me, um, I do it. When uh, I know that the price is a few percent higher, the same price, 10% higher, not a problem. But when you're talking about something that is three, four times the price, mm. and that will be seasonal, you know, it varies with seasons and stuff like that. And uh, I'm a, I, I love goji berries. I'm a big fan of goji berries. They've got oh, yeah. huge antioxidant potential. And the, the, for the amount you eat, organic goji berries are a reasonable, you know, price to pay. That's the way I look at it. But if it was something I was going to eat 10 times more of, I'd go, uh-oh. Right. Now, can you get rid of some of the pesticides? Yes. Well, you can lower the toxins by making sure that they're grown in Australia rather than over in Asia, in China in particular. Um, by the way, this isn't anti-Chinese. It's just anti-Chinese agriculture. 
in terms of how it's controlled over there. And the, um, the other way is that, that you can soak your food. But the research I read last year, the best way to eliminate some of the toxins in food, the pesticides in foods, was soaking them in sodium bicarb. Now, yeah, I, thought, I heard vinegar, so sodium bicarb. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. I've heard vinegar too. I haven't seen the studies on it. The okay. sodium bicarb, I have read the study. And it was very effective. And I go, great, love the idea. How simple, how simple is that? Mm. And it costs, uh, you know, $3 for a packet that's going to last you a couple of months. And I use it with people who have got a lot of gut issues too. Um, it's one of the simple remedies for that and for helping alkalize the body. So it's got lots of things. And it's just a few cents a day. Um, so I, I, I throw my, when, if I'm doing a juice and things like that or washing something, I'll put it in the water, soak it, throw in a couple of teaspoons or a couple of tablespoons of sodium bicarb, sprinkle it on. Is there any amount? There probably is, but I don't know it. So I just mix it in there, yeah. let it settle, mix it around for a few minutes, take it out, dry it and eat it. So you're only letting it soak for a few minutes. You don't need yeah. to soak it overnight no. or anything. Or? No, look, chemical, chemical reactions occur straight away. Okay. You know, um, the thing about chemical reactions is that, you know, at this, this time I've just mentioned the word chemical reactions. You've got how many hundred billion reactions going on in your body. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, just just un unbelievable. Okay, and chemical reactions occur like like that split second. There's there's, there's thousands happening. So right. it's about enabling the exposure more than anything. So making sure the mix gets into everywhere in it mm -hmm. to be able to neutralize the the um, pesticides. In this case, um, you know, so you mix it around a bit, let it go, mix it around a bit, and things like that. Mm. So uh, you don't have to soak it overnight. You're probably at um, an exponential decay curve uh, that if you start soaking it, you've got 95% off already in the first three minutes. And after that, the next 12 hours, you've got the other 3%. Right. Okay. Makes sense. So that's, a, that's an academic guesstimate on that one after re reading the paper and reading other stuff on it. But yeah, yeah. So simplest way, just soak it in a bit of sodium bicarb. And, and look, when, when organic is affordable great because organic is also a promotion of a healthier way of life you know it's a look after the agriculture look after the farming practices look after the environment around it which agri um, organic agriculture tends to do they tend to have um, a, a lot more of diversification so on not exclusively but they they do so it's a it's a great way to promote um, healthier long-lasting more permanent forms of agriculture what about things like brake dust or road dust? <laughs> is that affecting us? Because it turns into particulate matter and we're breathing it in. Do you think that that's going to have negative health consequences long-term for us, particularly if we live in the built-up areas? Well, look, there, there's, no, there's no doubt about exposure. And um, there, are, there are studies done on, on um, uh, road tyre dust. And, you know, as I said, studies have been done on everything. And it, it, look, it shows that the busiest cities in the world have the highest, and, and here we're talking Beijing, for example. Here I go with China again, Peter, come on. But um, you know, <laughs> Beijing being you know, one of the dirtiest cities and um, most of the Western cities have spent a lot of time and money and effort to lower the amount of air pollution, including particulates. Particulates are the microscopic particles. Um, you may see them on the sunset when the sun goes um a bright orange or something, but generally you can't see them. They're so, so small, something like um, PM 2.5 micron, so a thousand times smaller than a 
than a, um, a millimeter, you know, that little measurement on a, on a ruler. So you can't see them. And they're the ones that go into the lungs and do the greatest damage. They can accumulate there. Unless, of course, you've got a system that can help clean it out. And the healthier the system, the better it is to clean it out. So you're going to get all of that particulate stuff, the, you know, the, the brakes, the, the tires, the atmospheric pollution, the exhaust pipes of cars, diesel in particular is still very rich in particulate pollution. Um, all of those things are going to be going out into the atmosphere and ultimately they, they, they settle closer to the source than further, rather than further away, but they will go up a long way too. And so the closer you are to the busy roads and things like that, and there's lots of studies showing um, morbidity and mortality, you know, the, 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 the chronic diseases associated with living on or close to busy roads. And we did a little one on that, um, again, um, 20 years ago, and we just did a study and looked at um, uh, 15 houses on the main street, 15 houses kind of 300 metres back, 15 hand, you know, 500 metres back. And um, we put in a couple of little flyers in there that, you know, the ones to confuse people. And we found that bad backs don't get worse as you get from the, um, you know, the level of people with sore backs doesn't increase to decrease and a few other things like that, right. um, cuts and injuries. But what did increase and decrease was the level of respiratory and skin complaints. And that was a little study we never got around to publishing, but that, that mirrors pretty well what is done in the real world. Hmm. So but the further you are, is, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, the further you are away, the better it is. And the more barriers you've got in between it, the better it is. So these people who you see running at peak hour on the main road for getting some exercise, probably not the best thing to be doing. I'd hold my breath. if I. <laughs> And that's pretty hard when you're running. So look, it's not a great time to do it. Yeah. Um, you know, but uh, then, then you've got the other side of it. Your body has an immense ability to clean it out. Yes. But every little bit of damage that you do is damage. And that's how, that's how, in a sense, we argue about tobacco smoke. You know, tobacco smoke is made up of a cocktail of over a thousand different toxins. Uh, and one of the main ones is microscopic particulate matter, this PM 2.5. Same with burning of fires and things like that. That's why, um, you know, there are big issues and they say for asthmatics and so on, because it can, it can lead to oxidation and inflammation in the lungs in the short term. And in the meantime, um, cellular destruction, you know, when there's too much or, or there's a cytokine cascade that I've mentioned a few times already, then you can end up with lung damage. And the more the lung is damaged and like any other part of the body, it can repair to a degree, but if you're constantly exposed to it, you get more and more. So if you're a smoker, and it's the same principles, if you smoke um, you know, one a week, the effects are going to be incredibly small, but if you're smoking two packs a day, um, then the chances of you dying of a tobacco-related injury is um, extremely high, right. extremely high. Um, and, and, you know, that's, that's, that's actually cardiovascular disease, which is the first one there. It's not, it's not actually hard. It's not, it's not the um, lung cancer that most people think. It's, it's heart attacks and strokes and things like that. And they've discovered there that, you know, that's partly because of the lung damage. It's also partly because of the particles literally get into the lungs, even those runners on the street. The microscopic particles are able to penetrate into the lungs. And the more damaged they are, the more they're able to get in and literally thicken up the blood, make it more of a soup than a blood. And therefore, as an acute exposure, it means that you are pushing a thick, viscous fluid through your arteries rather than a nice, runny, liquidy blood. So how do you improve the cleansing out of your lungs and your blood? 
drink more liquids. Okay. Um, That's a simple thing for people to do. Oh, oh really, it really is. It really is. And and green tea. There's a lot of studies on on green tea having and and tea to a lesser degree and other herbal teas. But you know, there's done a huge amount of research on green tea. Uh, green tea uh, is great for for liquefying the because it's going down warm. You're getting that moisture forming along the esophagus and then into your respiratory system because you don't want the liquid to go into the respiratory system, so to speak. Um, and it loosens everything up. And as right. a result, you start to cough it out and, <clears throat> you know, you're bringing it up and which is getting rid of lots of it. Um, uh, green tea, by the way, is, is a great protective against viruses, not just because of its antioxidant properties and so on, like COVID, because what it's doing is helping you clear out the lungs. Hmm. And the damage is done when too much of the virus accumulates in the cells. And so hmm. what you want to do is make sure your mucous membranes um, very healthy in the lungs. Now, I'm going to jump topic because most people don't know that in your lungs, you have a respiratory microbiome. Everyone knows you've got it in the gut. Mm. And you probably don't know you've got an ocular one. Yes. You've got an ear, nose and throat one. Yep. And most of the ear, nose and throat complaints that kids go to, doctors in, are actually caused by some form of silent reflux or reflux that the kids get. Mm. Oh, a little bit of trivia in there. And um, why that's all important is because all those microbiomes and, you know, women have their own particular microbiome and, you know, we, we, they're, they're everywhere. There's a breast microbiome. There's, a, there's in, in, in the breast itself, there's a microbiome that actually helps, helps convert the um, milk into uh, foods that the baby can digest and produce bifidobacteria, you know, that are even more potent and beneficial for the baby. It's, fa it's fantastic. It's amazing. It's almost as though we evolved with it, you know, over millions of years, which we have. And, mm -hmm. and so basically, but the trick here is all of that, one way or another, comes back to your microbiota in your large intestine. So what people call your microbiome or microbiota. And um, um, if you've got a healthy microbiota in your large intestine, most of the other places also have a healthy microbiota. You, your gallbladder, healthy. Your urinary tract, healthy. Your respiratory tract, a healthy microbiota. So your microbiota is ev everywhere, okay? But your gut one is the driving force behind it. Why it's so important and why there are links with gut and virtually every form of illness and susceptibility to illnesses because of that um, state of health or dysbiosis in the gut that, that occurs. And, and the fact that we have so many of these microorganisms, although even our skin microbiome, they, they can link that with our gut microbiome, which they can link with your susceptibility to uh, certain exposure to allergens and toxins and things like that. And, and in fact, your immune system from your gut coordinates with the immune system underneath the skin, mm. which coordinates with the, with the gut, with your, sorry, skin microbiome, which and it's all linked together. So yes. if, if I, people come to my talks, well, they used to in the old days, and they would come to my talks and they'd say, look, I've got this condition. I say, is it linked to the gut? Yeah. How much? 5%, 95%. I don't know. Everyone's different and every circumstance. But we know there is a link. So the first thing I do to people is say, look, fix your gut. Now, remember, I'm not a medical doctor. I'm a researcher. I'm a PhD. Uh, and I've spent um, post-PhD 30 years researching the topics around health and gut and toxins and everything else I want to. 
And I just see it as all linked and interwined, e.g. through that inflammation, oxidation, acidosis that I talk about. And so if we can fix the gut, the first thing I talk to people, fix the gut, start fixing the gut now. Don't wait five years. Don't wait 10 years. Don't wait till you're, you're getting the aches and the pains. Start now. Um, I'll give you a classic example of how this all links together and the ridiculousness of medical science, okay? In medicine, they have to create a state of, um, let's say, hypertension in rats so that they can find a drug that they can test on the rats to treat the hypertension, high blood pressure. Yep. So they need an animal model. It's called an animal model. And they've got to create that. The rats aren't born with hypertension. They're born and then we treat them somehow. And so people will say, oh, you can't do anything about hypertension. We don't know, apart from the fact that there are 30,000 studies saying you can. Um, the two, the three main ways that they create hypertension in rats is first one is refried oils. Oh, really? Yeah. Wow. Hold on. Fish and chips, yeah. your chicken nuggets, your <laughs> all that junk food. That is being we know is the number one, two or three cause of hypertension in rats. Wow. Okay. Okay. The second one is sugar. Yep. That okay. Makes sense. Yeah. The third one, and well, a third one is fluoride, which is a toxin. <laughs> okay. And so they give them the ones who are sensitive to fluoride. They give them more fluoride mm. uh, at a dose not that much more above what some people are exposed to, and they develop hypertension. And that, by the way, again, in my, all of my materials I write, I link the environment back to these conditions because there mm. is an environmental link with hypertension and arthritis and so on. Now, the same thing happens in arthritis. To create an arthritic mouse or rat, they stop the collagen being formed in the gut, which leads to something we call leaky gut or a permeable intestinal layer. And the toxins get through like Ali Metchenkoff mentioned back in 1907. And right. the inflammation gets through, goes to the joints and whoops, you've got your animal model of rheumatoid arthritis. So do we know what causes it? Yeah, dysbiosis. And what causes dysbiosis? Junk foods, toxins, you know, 21st century living, stress. Mm. Um, and so we need to just go back to square one. Don't wait till all this is gone and done. And we're seeing all of the gut illnesses, which is a manifest for all the other illnesses, one way or another, um, increasing at rates of 400%, while other diseases are going up 10 and 20% and 5% and 3%. These are going up at 400%, 500%, uh, you know, esophageal cancer, gastrointestinal cancers, um, the rates of inflammatory bowel disease, you know, a whole raft of, you know, cocktails starting from here right all the way down. And everyone goes, oh, I wonder what it is. Yeah, it's common those... sense and science tells us what it is, and if you don't start fixing it now, folks, it's going to be harder to fix later. Definitely, and I guess um, a lot of people think that achieving good health is really difficult, and reversing these diseases is difficult. But once you realise that it's actually just those simple common sense things, you address those, you give the body a bit of a chance, it can do remarkable things, can't it? Oh, absolutely! Look, the body the body wants to be in a state of wellness. And it's got everything around itself. You know, it's got, it's got the, um, um, your immune system that comes in that, you know, 
gets rid of the toxins and gets rid of the allergens and gets rid of the decaying cells and stuff like that. You know, we've got, uh, we've got our little runners along our genes that clean up our genetics every, every split second to get rid of the old aberrations and things, you know, something called P53. We've got all these things, our glial cells in our mind that act as, you know, vacuum cleaners to clean out some of the plaque and so on. We've got all these things that are going on every day, but they can go on so long you know, we've got, um, you know, we, 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 yeah, they can go on so long until they're overwhelmed. Mm. And then they just can't, you know, Alzheimer's is not a complex disease. Every single thing looking at Alzheimer's relates back to poor and nutrient depleted blood cells to the brain. You have a look at all of it. They call it diabetes three. Why? Because diabetes three is an inflammatory illness brought about by, uh, wrong style of eating in the vast majority of cases and or toxins on a, on a, on a few there's links in there too um and you know I'm, I'm really proposing a simple model but in science there is something called occam's razor if there's a simple model to explain it don't go for the more complex one go for the simple model and nutrition and lifestyle and diet are the simple models and unfortunately our system doesn't promote it and we should be out there you know we should be spending billions of dollars promoting Oh, it doesn't work. It doesn't work because we're not doing it. You know, it doesn't work because you've got to do it at all layers and levels. And um, we've got to get out there and, 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 and start brainwashing the kids. Um, we would save so many more lives. Do you know how many people died of cardiovascular disease in 2000? And I think it was uh, 21 or 2020, it may have been 43,000. In Australia. In Australia. Yeah, it's huge. Wow. Then you add in the diabetes, two, and the more deaths, and then you add in, and then you add in, and then you add in, mm. and you realize diet and lifestyle is, is, is by far the single biggest killer out there without head and shoulders above anything else. And that happens every single year. Yeah. And we wait till the people are already sick and dying before we start to recognize the illness. The illness starts with the first crappy food you start eating mm. as, a, as a kid. That's when the illness starts not when you're 60 or 55. It starts every time you put that junk food, every time you put that junk media, every time you put that, you know, that nervous stress, every time you put those toxins near you, um, every time. Hmm. And so we've got to learn to minimize all of that and improve things that can make a difference, you know, to, to, make, to, to enable us to clear out the junk that's accumulating, that our body's defending off things and it wants to get rid of it. Yeah. And so, you know, again, drinking lots of water, antioxidants, anti-inflammatory nutrients, mm. all of that stuff. So, you know, and there's a huge body of evidence out there and people want to know about it and people want to, people really want it. It's just that they're constantly told, I'll have people who go to their medical practitioner and the doctor, and they say, no, yeah, that won't work. Don't worry, don't try it. Mm. And I've had people who have come to my talks, they've gone on my blood pressure smoothie, their blood pressure has dropped from you ready. 210 on 110 over over about four weeks to 110 on 75. And this lady was 86. Wow. She'd outlasted all her doctors. She'd outlasted all her doctors. And um, and all she did was, you know, some of the things I mentioned at one of my talks. And again, I've got a blood pressure smoothie out there. And it it's, you know, and it, it's just nutrition. It's just nutrition, 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 diet, lifestyle. And no drug could ever do that. No, they can't because the aspects of medication, see, pharmaceutical industries like Pfizer are great at building up the benefits and 
downplaying any negative effects. Mm. And while they identify the negative effects, you often don't hear about the negative effects until five or 10, 15, even 20 years later, mm. when the studies have been done by these fantastic, marvelous, beautiful, independent research scientists who have somehow allocated some funding, not from the pharmaceutical companies, and looked into it and said, this is serious and we need to do something about it. Hence the links with, you know, cholesterol medication, statin drugs, and all these other forms of chronic illness, including diabetes. Uh, you know, these independent scientists have discovered this, but they've only discovered it when the drug's been out there for 30, 40 years. Um, you know, and, and the drug companies won't necessarily even share that if they don't have to. And that's a classic example with um, COVID at the moment. You know, they've just released the potential side effects and or conditions that may alter in the body as a result of taking the vaccine. And there are 1,291, or maybe a few out, um, potential side effects and or conditions that may exacerbate that were not known until the US court demanded that the drug company release it. So, you know, we've got the industry, the drug company, Oh, yeah, it's really good. And the, uh, uh, oh, the food doesn't work. And, that, you know, and we have these people going to the health practitioners and they're, and, and they're literally shied away from nutrition. Um, for, fortunately, the vast majority come back to another lecture and, and go, wow, you do show the science, don't you? Yep, here it is. And, you know, I just, I just show people the evidence and that's where it comes from, the evidence. That's right. I'm aware of the time. Because I know you've got um, some things to do with your family this afternoon. <clears throat> Any final thoughts or comments that you want to leave us with today, Peter? I know you've given so much already. Mm. Look, um, health is not complex. It's not. It's not about doing the big things and joining the gym. Uh, by the way, a lot of people who go to the gym are really sick too. Okay, understand that. If they're doing big workouts and eating crappy food, then and a lot of them know that and. I see some of them too. Mm. Um, but it's not about the big things. It's not about changing stuff right now and going and becoming a vegan vegetarian, which, by the way, I'm not a big fan of anyway. It's, it's, about, it's about doing the small things over a long period of time. So what can I do? Well, why not this week just drink 500 ml of water, half a litre of water extra a day? Take out a water bottle. The only good thing I see about these water bottles that everyone carries with them now is it can be a measure. So do you all your other drinks and have that. Then next week, do another thing. Um, find a place for some goji berries. They're delicious, okay? Um, have an orange juice. Orange juices are fantastic. Forget anyone who tells you the sugar spikes and all that. That's rubbish. Um, you know, orange juices are just orange. That's all they are. And oranges are beautiful foods, as is orange juice. And by the way, I don't get paid by any orange juice company. I just... I, you know, I, I looked up a hundred studies on juices and I just came to the conclusion that they are so good and every kid in Australia should be having a glass of orange juice a day, you know, with the pulp. Mm. Don't take the pulp out, with the pulp. Um, those simple strategies and everyone else, um, the older people too, having an orange juice a day. So that starts the, the second week. And the third week um, might be in, in increasing your veggie consumption by one veggie a day. Uh, and you might go, okay, I like avocados. So why not throw in an avocado, which is kind of a fruit, but, you know, and that's a brilliant food. Um, or, or recently, I've got tick, I'm on TikTok now too, by the way, and I've been doing, I've been doing it on um, pistachio nuts. 
Yeah, right. And pistachio nuts are one of my hero foods. I don't like superfoods because people assume if you've got a superfood, then you know everything's everything's fixed. It's not. My hero foods are the foods that come in. You can take them, and they're going to make a big difference. And things like um, uh, goji berries and that orange juice are that for me. And another one is pistachios. Mm. Pistachios have one of the highest ratios of potassium you can get. So a hundred mil, sorry, hundred grams, which is a big handful of pistachio nuts, okay? Um, small hand from, two small hands for most people, um, gives you a third of your potassium requirements in the day or a quarter of it or something like that. And you need potassium. Yeah, most okay. people don't get enough. Oh, they don't. Look, there, there's no, again, I'll get distracted for a moment. Hope you don't mind. But this salt thing, you know, lower your salt, lower your salt, lower your salt. Um, it's stupid. It's ridiculous. Hmm. The science is very clear. It's not sodium chloride salt, NaCl, salt that causes a problem. Hmm. It's the balance. It's a balance between potassium up here, which one's up here, and sodium down here. At the moment, it's the other way around. So you need to get more potassium. So you would get more benefit by adding um, three bananas, a handful of pistachios, and um, uh, what else is there? And a glass of orange juice a day which will add probably close to 2,000 milligrams or 1,800 milligrams of potassium to your diet, as well as vitamin C, as well as all these other fantastic nutrients than taking um, 100, grams of, uh, you know, 100 milligrams of salt out, which you take that out, fine. But unless when you do it my way, yeah, the potassium, it balances it because it's all about the balance, remember? And what we need is when we have the potassium and increase the potassium, what we do is we increase the amount um, of, of not just the potassium, but the magnesium and the selenium and the boron and mm. the calcium and all those other nutrients, which we're pretty well deficient in, rather than just taking out a bit of salt, which only is a problem because we're not having enough potassium. So again, modern medicine says, oh, pick on salt because num public enemy number one, salt, cholesterol, public enemy number one, you know, it's ridiculous. They've got it, they've got it so, it's so unscientific. So build up the potassium. So coming back to there, you know, one thing a day, one thing a week, just add little things, learn a little bit. Health is the most important thing you have. So what you want to do is learn about it, learn more and more. We've got lots and lots and lots of free blogs. Um, and I speak, I write like I speak fast, but, um, um, you know, with common sense and science there, go or go find some reliable unbiased non-pharmaceutical based scientists and, 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 and websites and read it there is so much good information out there um, about the things you can do and every week along with your family your support team really important introduce one of these extra things you can do a, a, a week and you would not believe the differences after three or four weeks or a month. And then you're starting to actually feel a little bit more awake, alert, but you're also starting to feel more conscious about your health because you're focusing on it. Mm. So it's a win-win-win situation. And I'm not saying take stuff out. I'm not saying get rid of the deep fried foods. Well, good idea if you're kid, you did. But I'm not saying that. I'm saying put things in and those things will replace it eventually. So instead of having that big piece of steak, have a smaller piece and some more veggies. Have a little bit more fish, free range fish, so to speak, okay? Or free range eggs too, okay? Have a little bit more of that than the processed foods, the, you know, all those white things, but do it slowly. Take your time, do it with your family, do it with your friends. And that way it'll be successful. And as a result, you'll end up 
a happier, longer, healthier life. And you'll still be doing these positive changes all the way along. And everyone will be looking at you and going, wow, what did you do? You've lost weight. You're, you've got more energy. You're, wow, able to do all these things. And all it is, is just one change a week. Wonderful tips and practical and simple and easy and things that people can start to do today. It's not like they need to go, as you said, changing 150 different things in one day or one week. Thanks, Peter. I love your passion for health and I love your charisma. And um, yeah, you're definitely a showman. And I, I really appreciated you taking well, the time. And You better come to my next talk in Brisbane, okay? Well, let me know when it is, when it is and I'll come and see you. Once it all dries out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, I, I really appreciate you giving the time to come and speak with me. And I know you've got a website. So did yeah. you want to let me know where people can get access yeah, to it, more of um, your information? It's uh, drdingle.com, www.drdingle.com. We've got um, something like a dozen of our books up there that deal with cholesterol. And we've got even more on our membership, which we try to make publicly available um, so that people can access the information on reflux, on SIBO, on, you know, gut issues, all the types of, all the different types of gut issues, um, toxins in the home. We just keep putting up every year, we put up another couple more of these to understand it. So there's a huge amount of information up there on our website that we hope people get to and, and are able to share because we really believe it'll make a difference. What's your TikTok? <laughs> TikTok, I think, is Dr. Peter Dingle. Cool. All right. Yeah, and um, um, and and um, you know, when I do it, we we we're up to twenty one point five thousand or something like that. Oh, yeah. Um, and but when I when I do it, it jumps up really high, and then I give it a break for three or four or five days. Like I couldn't do another one today, you see, but uh, it jumps up, and people say thank you because I you know I just give them lots of little hints on there. We're on we're on Facebook as Gut Health Australia, okay, and we're on Instagram as Gut Health Australia, one word. Brilliant. Yeah. Thanks, Peter. I really a, appreciate it, mate. That's a, that's a pleasure, buddy. You take care. Feels awesome. Cheers. See ya. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the show. The ideas discussed on this podcast do not replace the advice of your primary healthcare professional. If you have any questions or comments, head on over to humanly.com forward slash podcast and join the discussion. Don't forget to follow us on social media. Until next time.